So we're going to look today at a passage in Matthew's Gospel. It's Matthew 5, uh, starting at verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to talk today about how to bless this city, how to bless this city. How do we have a positive impact on London in 2019? Because I don't know about you, but it feels to me lots of people right now, right across our city, maybe you're in this place yourself, are reflecting on their lives. Maybe you're thinking at the moment about your life. Start of a new year, it's a unique time to kind of weigh our sense of purpose, you know, our level of contentment, thinking about how happy we are, how clear we are about what we should be doing with our one precious life. And you might be forming new resolutions, you might have a new resolve, you might already have some new ambitions. But sometimes we will find that that very process of thinking about those things creates a little bit of tension between how things are and how they might be. You know, how you long things to be and then you look at how they are. And that can be in relationships, in workplaces, in families. Uh, And and marketing companies uh, don't sleep on this. They're very up on it. And so they start issuing press releases and kind of campaigns at this time of the year uh, just to kind of point that out. So you might see in the papers a lot tomorrow on websites tomorrow that tomorrow has been called a divorce Monday. Um, the, you know, the marketing campaign say this is the most likely day of the year when you'll visit a divorce lawyer. Maybe, just maybe, the tension of spending time with your extended family over Christmas has pushed you over the edge and you feel this is the moment I should go to a divorce lawyer and say, oh, it's divorce Monday. And then they say, well, two weeks later, January the 21st, that's allegedly Blue Monday. That's based on some kind of ridiculous equation where they try and work out the distance from Christmas, the distance to your next holiday in the sun, the amount of sunlight in the day, how much money you have in your bank account, all these crazy things. They put them together and say, that's the day of the year. You're going to be more miserable than any other day. And they kind of tell you these things. And you can hear them and you can think, oh, okay, so maybe I should be having problems with my relationship on that day and I'll probably be a bit miserable on that day because the marketing companies tell me. Or sometimes I say to myself, I say, wait a minute, I'm not some kind of, you know, passive person who's kind of just buffeted from side to side by press releases from marketing companies. You know, you can call it Divorce Monday, but I'm going to call it Marriage Appreciation Monday. You know, I'm going to, on that day, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to write down 10, maybe 20, maybe 30 reasons I'm so grateful to be married to my wife. I'm going to buy flowers for her. I'm going to say to myself, remind myself that day what an absolute miracle it is that in the entirety of the world, one person considered it valuable use of their life to spend their time with me. Like that's a miracle. I'm not going to take that for granted. I'm going to focus on the positive that day. That's my marriage appreciation Monday. And then blue Monday, no, that's going to be my joy Monday. I'm going to do whatever it is that day that makes me happy. I'm going to order Chinese food. You know, I'm going to go for a run. Whatever it takes, I'm going to make that my joyful day. I'm not going to just be reactive to what other people say I should be feeling. I'm going to take the initiative. 
And by the way, if you are kind of struggling in your relationship, you might be struggling in your marriage at the moment, I just want to say the marriage course starts very soon at HDB. Um, you'll have a great time, and it's a lot cheaper than divorce lawyers. A lot, <laughs> a lot cheaper. So please make the use of that opportunity. But, we, you know, you can approach this year, this year in this city, and you can see yourself as kind of one of the crowd, passive, at the mercy of the tides of time, at the mercy of the things that happen. Or you can see yourself as someone who has been made shaped, designed, positioned for a purpose. And you can know that purpose when you know the one who gives you that purpose. And that purpose is about you, but it goes beyond just you. And it has the potential to impact and transform not only your life, but your family's life, your friends, your colleagues, the place where you work, and even to bring blessing to this city of London in 2019. And that's exactly what this passage speaks to. And the first thing we see in this passage is how important it is to be distinct. Jesus is teaching, uh, is teaching to a whole crowd of people, including his disciples, and he's just talked about something called the Beatitudes, which is this kind of, you know, blessed is this, blessed is this, how you seek a life of blessing. But the ways that Jesus talks about being blessed are kind of different. They're distinctive from how we anticipate blessing coming. Like it's, it's blessed are the humble, those who seek the lowest place. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who seek holiness. Blessed are those who act mercifully, who are gracious with people. Blessed are those who, who long to bring peace, not division. And that can seem like strange in London in 2019. Like those things, they're quite different ways of choosing to live, quite different ways of seeking blessing. And then he says to them, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Not you could be, not you should be, not you might be, but you are the salt of the earth. Your identity, your purpose, wherever he has placed you, is to be salt. What does that mean? Well, salt has um, two main functions. Uh, you, You obviously can put it on food, and when you put it on food, not too much of it, just a little bit, uh, it amplifies the flavor. It brings out the best in the food, makes it taste absolutely delicious and um, tasty. That's one way you can use salt. But also, um, at the time Jesus was speaking, you would use salt, you would push it and rub it into meat as a way of um, using it to stop decay. So it enable the meat to resist bacteria and enable it to preserve for longer. So you can use salt to kind of bring out the best and to resist the worst. To kind of amplify and encourage what's good and stand against what's bad. But what Jesus says is if salt loses its saltiness, um, then it kind of loses its distinct essence, the thing that makes it salt. And then it's not useful anymore. throw it away, trample on it, its value and its purpose is tied to its distinct essence. And it's hard because, I don't know about you, but when I think about being the salt of the earth in London in 2019, I, I want to belong wherever I'm placed. You know, I want to be, um, there's, in any organization or company or community, there's a huge social pressure to look, to sound, to act the same as everyone else. And you can feel like, I, I don't want to make it obvious that I don't fit in. I don't want to make it obvious that I'm distinct. I don't want to make it obvious that I'm different. When I uh, started working as a barrister, I started working, I worked as a barrister for a number of years, a criminal defense barrister, and I started working, uh, trained actually, at a a 
company where it was full of really, really smart people. And uh, it was very kind of formal, very kind of old school. And it felt like there were all these unwritten rules about how you should act and speak. And uh, the number of things I was a bit nervous about going into, I'd I'd, uh, gone to quite a rough school where I grew up. And uh, I... No one in, in my family had done any kind of job like this. And, and also, my accent was a little bit different. Um, so to this day, my brother says that I've betrayed my roots because my accent sounds different. So it wasn't massively different, um, you know, but I just said, you're right, mate, how's it going? Uh, uh, you know, do you want to come around my yard and just cotch for a little bit? Um, <laughs> A little bit like that. You know, you just, just say a few, you know, you just kind of talk a little bit like that. And I just, and I just, as I got into, you know, being in court and being around barristers, my accent started to shape a little bit. I was a bit of a sponge and it changed a bit. But when I first started, I kind of, you know, came in for my first day and um, went in and the senior guy opened the door and welcomed me in. I said, cheers, mate. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me as though I'd sworn. And he was like, what did you say? I said, cheers, mate. And uh, he was like, oh, and I thought, oh, maybe that's not how you say hi. And then I sat down, and then, to my shock, a butler came around the corner and asked me if I'd like a cup of tea. And I'd never actually seen a real-life butler, like I'd seen them in films, but a real-life butler, I thought, this is different. And then one of the other trainees was sitting next to me, and he turned to me and he said, where'd you get your suits from? And I said, suits direct. Um, (laughs) I, I got the jacket and the trousers, and then they threw in the waistcoat for free. And he said, yeah, you can tell. And I was like, oh, oh, it's a bit much. And um, so as, as I was going through the day, I was finding it a little bit difficult. I was like, I'm not sure I fit in here. And then I met my boss for the first time, and he looked at me and he said, who taught you to tie a tie? And I was like, what is going on? And I said, I taught me to tie a tie. And he said, you look like a footballer. I was like, what? Is that a good thing? Is that like... And, and I kind of think, I was thinking, you know, this is just not working out. Everything is different. I don't understand any of the rules. It's really difficult. Anyway, we sat down and he, he started telling me about our first case. And he said, look, it's, you know, it's quite difficult. The guy's been arrested for bringing in um, a, a large quantity of drugs in a, in a lorry. And, um, and the prosecution say, and it's quite a strong case, prosecution say that, you know, it, it, he's, he's in on the gang. He must be in on the gang because the gang would never trust him with, you know, over five million pounds worth of drugs unless he was a criminal, unless he was part of the crew. And I was like, I'm not sure that's right. And he said, what? And I said, I'm not sure that's right. There's no honor amongst thieves. He said, what? And I said, there's no honor amongst thieves. I mean, why, how do they know if they give him five million pounds of drugs? So he's not just going to drive it off and sell it himself for a different supplier. Or alternatively, he could be a weak link in the chain. He could just go down the pub, have one too many beers, start chatting about it to everyone. And then the secret's out. So, you know, if you're the cartel, you know, you've got the drugs quite well packaged. They're not obvious in the van. You know, you don't have to let the driver know what he's driving. You just have to let him know where he's going. And he could drive the drugs, doesn't need to know anything about it and then you've eliminated an aspect of risk from your supply chain and the thing is you know in in my experience gangs operate on a need-to-know basis and he looked at me and he said Stephen Stephen what what is your experience and and I said oh um oh uh um you know just, just mates you know um brother, you know, that kind of... He said, oh, I'm glad you're here, Stephen. I was like, oh, thanks. Anyway, so he went on to use this line in his closing speech, and the guy was acquitted, 
And then he, the barrister taught me how to tie a tie, and then he bought me a new suit. It's amazing. <laughs> But here's the thing, I was focused on the fact I was different, or that, that, that might impair me in some way, but it didn't mean I didn't belong, and it didn't mean I couldn't make an impact. What makes you different is not necessarily a disadvantage to you. In fact, what makes you distinct might be the very reason you've been placed where you are, and it might be the very means through which God blesses those around you. Now, your faith, or that makes you feel a bit awkward at times, could be the very reason you've been placed in that company, on that board of directors, in that role. might be the very thing that enables you to bring blessing to that company. Because you're the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And I find there's two risks. The first is that you're so concerned to maintain your difference that you become of no earthly use. Like you're so desperate to avoid contamination, to keep salty, to separate yourself, you know, that you forget that salt actually needs to be applied to be useful. Salt needs to be spread out, not hoarded together. But the second risk is to be so immersed. You know, you so long to be one of the crowd. You so long to be in the right crew at work. You so long to go with the flow and entirely fit in. You try so hard to appear like you're just like everyone else that you wake up one day and you are just like everyone else. And you lose the very purpose for you being there, which is that you're different, you're distinct. And normally, you, you kind of fall off one end or the other. But what I found is so helpful is to remind myself why I'm there. Now, you could do this on Monday morning at work. You could take some salt in, and you could put it on your desk. You know, just be careful you don't put it in a line. <laughs> HR might be a little bit worried about you. Start the gossip. Now, but you could take some salt, just put it on your desk, and say, like, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. I'm not here for the same reason necessarily as everyone else. I know why I'm here, because I know my purpose, because I'm connected to my maker. And I know my purpose is that I am salt in this place. And part of my purpose for being here is to be different, is to be a little bit distinct. And so actually, I'm not necessarily operating on the same basis as everyone else. You know, you might be approaching bonus season or PDR season. You know, have you been successful? Have you hit your targets? Well, you might need a different set of targets. You might need to look back at the start of chapter 5 at the Beatitudes, and start assessing yourself on those targets. Like this year, have I been merciful? Have I been a person who brings peace? Have I been humble? That's really hard. Have I been meek? Not pushing myself forward. That's really hard. And go through saying, actually, if I want to be different, if I want to be distinct, if I want to be sought in the place where he has placed me, I'm going to have to walk to a different beat at times. And that's okay. And that could actually bring blessing for you and blessing for those you work with, live with, spend your life with. And when you know that purpose, it frees you to be salt. It frees you to be encouraging, to bring out the good, to bring out the best in people. Because you're not worried about who's getting ahead. You're not worried about your turf. You're focused on being a blessing where God has placed you. So you can be the most encouraging person in your workplace. You can compliment people when they do things really well without worrying that it impacts on you. You can be cheerful when you're going through a difficult day. Because actually you can stay salty by relying on the limitless power that comes from knowing that he is with you and the certain hope that knowing he is for you even unto the end of days.
You know, that your workplace, your home, your family, your friendship network could be a better place because of you. You've been placed there for a purpose. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO or if you make the tea. You can make an impact. Salt makes an impact. You eat about two kilograms of food a day on average. You only need six grams of salt. You don't need much salt to make a difference to the whole. You don't need much influence to make a difference. You don't need many people to season a company, a community, a city, if you've got a conviction that you've been placed there for a purpose. Be distinct. But then secondly, be visible. Jesus says you are the light of the world. And when you place your trust in Jesus, his light lives in you. And through you, his light shines wherever you are. You shine out his light, and together we are like a city on a hill that can't be hidden because its position, its light can be seen for miles around. And it's the natural quality of light to be visible and to make things visible. You don't have to force it to do that. That's just what light does. Light illuminates. It brings clarity. It enables you to see things as they really are. And Jesus says no one you know, lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Because that's crazy. So, um, you know, say you had a little lamp. Doesn't look like much. Um, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. So you kind of light your lamp and you think, well, that's giving off a little bit of light. That's quite helpful. Um, But it is a bit crazy if you kind of, you know, light your lamp and then you just put it under a bowl. Um, There we go. Uh, That's a bit crazy, you know, and then you kind of let it out every now and again. Um, I don't know about you, but I, it might be crazy, but I do that from time to time. I have done that from time to time in my life. You know, on a Sunday, I'm like, how great is our... Monday morning, someone steps on my feet on the cheek, I'm like... What did you do? Sunday, I'm like, you know... Lion and the lamb. You know, and then, and then when it comes to a Wednesday and I hear someone's like gossiping about someone who I find really annoying, like it's really tempting to go, what is, I, I, I've got this great story about that person. You know, when, when I'm on Sunday, I'm surrounded by loads of people and my faith feels so strong in church, I can feel like, yeah, light, yes. But when I'm in the pub with people from work on a Thursday night and they're asking me what I'm doing that weekend, I can feel a little bit like, Oh, you know, just Netflix and, you know, I can hide my light. But light isn't meant to be hidden. Light is meant to shine. Jesus says, let your light shine. And if you let it, your light will shine. And I don't know about you, but I've done this at times. Uh, I... When I was at Sixth Form College, um, I don't know, I just, I had a faith, I had a light, but I quite liked kind of covering it up at times. I was kind of, I felt like I was quite lucky to be in the kind of in crowd and we got to go to all these great parties. I was just nervous about changing people's perception of me by making a big deal about my faith. So I just became quite good at like hiding it in conversation, not really saying anything about my faith, just kind of avoiding the whole topic. I'm basically hiding my light under a bowl. And there was this girl in one of uh, my classes called Becky. And even though I was desperately trying to hide this light, you know, you can't ever really hide light, Becky spotted it. And she said, after one of the classes, she said, um, could we chat for a moment? And just as a general rule in life, if someone says that to you, run. 
uh, and I said, I said, I said, yeah, yeah, and um, and then she looked at me and very politely, privately, there was no one else around, but very firmly, she said to me, Stephen, do you realise that you'll never be able to help anyone with your life if you put your faith in a box? And I was kind of like so surprised. I just kind of went like this and she turned around and walked away. And she'd done it so politely, so firmly. As I walked away, I was just like, who does she think she is <laughs> judging me? Like, I got on the bus to go home. I said, she doesn't know anything about me. We've never had a proper conversation. She doesn't know how difficult my life is. Who does she think she is speaking into my life like that? Becky. <laughs> By the time I got home, I was like, she's right. She's absolutely right. One of the most important interventions anyone ever made in my life. And I thought, I am? What am I doing? It's crazy. Like, why am I so afraid to let this light shine? Like, why am I so afraid to share this light, which has made such a difference to my own life and could massively change the lives of my friends and the people I hang out with? Why am I so afraid to take that risk of just being open about what means so much to me and the difference it's made to me. Like, what was I really risking? Like, a little bit of social capital? Like, that people whose opinion I valued might see me in a slightly different way? They might, they might not. And what, was, that, was that not worth risking? Was it not worth risking that? Risking the fact that, you know, something might happen? And I look back now and I think, I was so stupid. And I look back now at different points in my life, and I think, what? Even points where I was taking risks, there were such small risks, and I think, why didn't I take more risks? Because actually, I only had that social capital, I only had that influence, I only had that opportunity for a finite amount of time at a certain point in my life. Now it's gone. And I was so worried about spending on something, about using it on something, that was the very purpose, probably, why I'd been given that influence in the first place. And I was worried about letting it go. Whereas it could have been deployed for such a great reward. I mean, that's the thing, you know, it feels like a risk, but no risk, no reward. And what's the reward? The reward is that, you know, people's lives can literally be transformed. People's eternities can literally be transformed. It's not that big a risk anyway. The latest research shows that in the UK, one in five people you know right now would be interested in having a conversation about Jesus with you. One in five people are waiting for you to start that conversation. You go up to five people at work tomorrow, you know. Do you like a conversation about Jesus? <laughs> you like a conversation about Jesus? <laughs> Obviously you might not do it quite that way. But isn't that interesting? Like five to one, that's not bad odds. That someone is actually waiting to speak to you about something. They don't even have the language to articulate yet. I, I was at a wedding last Saturday, and um, you know, it's, I just started chatting to this guy by the edge of the dance floor. I, you know, I think we've both taken the view that you know, it was a bit early in the night to start throwing shapes on the dance floor, so we were both just kind of at the edge of the dance floor. And he was in his 20s, and it turned out he was from London, and he worked for a company in London. And he said their name, and uh, I actually know a guy who, until very recently, worked for that company here 
and he actually comes to church here at HDB. And um, he's, he was in a relatively senior role, but it's a really big company, hundreds and hundreds of employees. And so I just, I just took a bit, tiny, tiny risk. I just said, you know, oh, no chance you've ever worked with X, is there? He said, yes, you know X. He said, I love working with X. He's such a great guy. That guy's full of passion. He's full of positivity. He's so committed. I feel like he's always pushing the company onto bigger and better things. And sometimes, actually, over the years, there's been times when he's challenged the company, challenged the board to kind of do things differently or change things or, or shape things. But he always does so in such a positive and encouraging way. And I tell you, he's, he's much more senior than me. But I just, I just loved having him in the office. I just loved being around him. It's always so interested, always so encouraging of me. He said, how do you know him? I said, oh, uh, we go to the same church. He said, he goes to church. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, he goes, he, he, he goes to the same church I do. He said, huh, he goes to church. I, said, I thought there was always something different about him. He said, uh, do you have services on a Sunday? I was like, yeah, we have, you know, one or two, you know, you can. Um, he said, do, do, do you think that maybe I could come to a service sometime? I was like, yeah, we just let people, we let people in. Like we, we <laughs> don't have to apply or um, you can just turn up. And he said, huh. He said, uh, I said, actually, we also do this, this thing called Alpha. He said, what's that? What's Alpha? I said, oh, it's just, it's just, you know, you, you turn up, there'll be a few hundred people, roughly your age, and, um, and have some food, and then there's a talk on, you know, a topic like purpose, or um, guidance, or forgiveness, or faith, and then you have an opportunity to discuss it, you know, in a small group of about, you know, 10, 12 people, with people just like you. He said, that sounds great. I said, all right. He said, when, when does it start? And I said, oh, it just starts on, you know, Wednesday the 16th of January, 7 p.m. He said, great. And then we thought, now's the right time. So we both went and you know, threw a few shapes on the dance floor. And <laughs> it's a wedding. Everyone has to dance at a wedding. But it, see, the thing is, I, it wasn't complicated what I did at all. It was a tiny thing because he had seen this guy live and work. And this guy had been salt and light. He'd seen how he lived. He'd seen the difference it made to how he worked. And so I just come, all he needed was someone to say, come and see. And I think, you know, sometimes we get this the wrong way around. Like we think like the really difficult thing is to say, come and see. But actually, you know, the hard thing is to turn up day in, day out, when it's cold, when it's wet, when it's dark, when there's other things you'd want to be doing, and turn up in your workplace, your home, your school, your university, and actually say, I'm salt, I'm light, I want to make a difference here. And I tell you right now, people are noticing that. They're noticing how you live. They're curious about what motivates you. They're interested in that sense of purpose you have, which is a different quality to what they have. They know there must be something different about you, although they can't quite articulate it, and maybe they've never asked. You've done the hard work. And actually, the easy work is just to say, come and see. Sometimes I get it the other way around. Like, I feel like I've got to send an invite. Okay, right, close the door, make sure no one can hear. Okay, go into my room, take out my phone, send a text message. Dear Matt, hope you're well. Uh, uh, just wondering, brackets, no pressure. 
Um, feel free to say no. <laughs> if you might like to come to Alpha on Wednesday, 7 p.m., uh, I'll come too. Hope that's okay. Think you'll have a really great time. Kiss? <laughs> One kiss? Cheers? Thanks. 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 Thanks, Steve. Send. And you're like, deep breath. Pray, Lord, just bless that text message. Is it? <laughs> oh, he's read it. You're like looking at your phone. He's read it. Hasn't responded yet. Not typing. What does that mean? <laughs> he's going to go start talking about it to other people. You're like, you're like, you're making such an ordeal. I'm making such an ordeal. But you're living. You are salt and light. And there are people in your life right now, friends, colleagues, family members, who basically, if they had the language, would say, how can I find out more about why it is that you live how you live? About what it is that motivates you? How can I come and see? And we have this opportunity to invite people to take that risk for a huge reward. To see someone place their trust in Jesus. To see someone's life transformed. And then their transformed lives transforming other people's lives. And to think that we could be a part of that just by sending a text. Just by saying to someone, oh, do you want to come and see? And knowing that you are salt. You're the salt of the earth. Don't ever underestimate your significance. You're the light of the world. Don't ever underestimate your potential impact because Jesus, the light of the world, is in you and he's with you and he's for you and he's guiding you and he's going before you right now into your workplaces, your universities, into your families and stirring people's hearts so that they're ready when you say, why don't you come and see? In Jesus' name, amen.